If you don't have an email list, then you don't have a direct line to your customers. Reaching your clients, audience, supporters, and fans with the right message at the right time in the right place becomes easy when you've got a strategic email list in place. My email list is the number one way I drive profits in my business. And major bonus here, it's a lot easier and way more fun than you might think. That's why I'm teaching a free live workshop all about growing your email list called From Zero Subscribers or Zero Strategy to an Engaged Email List That Lasts. I'll show you how to kick off your email list building strategy with no fear because I know it can be scary to start something new in your business. Save your virtual seat at growanemaillist.com. Inside of my free live workshop, you'll learn why email marketing is 10 times more effective than posting on social media, my secret to sending out weekly emails without adding a ton of work to my plate, my best tips for getting people to hit subscribe, and what to actually say to them to convert them from subscribers to paying clients and customers. Save your seat now at growanemaillist.com. That's growanemaillist.com to get started with an email list strategy that drives real results. I'll see you at the masterclass. I'm in a process now, five years into my journey of trying to just get back in touch and resync with people. But I think it's just having to be okay with not being able to prioritize everything and do everything perfectly, but giving your all to the things that really are going to add the most value to your life in that moment. Hey, my name is Jenna Kutcher, and I am obsessed with all things business, marketing numbers, and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life. I'm a small town mama who took a $300 camera, grew a successful photo biz, and now I work from home and run a seven-figure online business. I teach you the tried and true secrets to building a career you adore. Shy away from the real talk? (laughs) No way. Money, hardship, growth, loss, and marketing are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with a gal pal mixed with business school. Pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. This is the Gold Digger Podcast. I've got news for you. If you're digging an ambitious goal of building a hugely successful business and brand, it's not always going to be possible to achieve the perfect balance between work and life and hustle and rest. Most founders would agree that running a business is like a series of sprints and cool downs. You might be constantly exhausted, running at peak intensity, putting out fires, and then there may be these rare, quiet periods or pockets or lulls where you can finally catch your breath before the sprint begins again. In fact, some may even say that balance can't possibly exist during the first few years of entrepreneurship. My guest today is the founder of Claire. It's a next generation paint brand that is completely reimagining the paint experience and how you shop for it. When it comes to ups and downs in her business, Nicole Gibbons has experienced them all from peak productivity to burnout, from constantly having to make difficult trade-offs to leaning into what that means for her and her life. In our conversation today, Nicole is sharing her perspective on why she believes that balance is a myth and why that's okay, plus her tactic of rebalancing or recalibrating on a regular basis in order to thrive during those more intense times, and the reality of what it's really like to be funded by venture capital. It is such a treat to get to chat with her about the ebbs and the flows of business, the different seasons and stages of life, the different styles of entrepreneurship, and how it all affects our lives and our businesses. What if you could find, track, and close deals all in one place? And what if your schedule and your goals, your to-do list and emails were organized in one tab instead of dozens? What if connecting with customers didn't leave you with so many what ifs? 
And what if I stopped talking in questions and just told you about HubSpot Sales Hub? Meet the new powerful and easy to use sales software designed to help sales teams prospect smarter, grow revenue faster, and mine deeper customer insights all on one connected platform. With HubSpot Sales Hubs, your data, tools, and teams are fully linked on a highly customizable platform that's actually a joy to use. It's smart software for smart sales teams who want to close the year strong. Visit HubSpot.com slash sales to learn more. That's HubSpot.com slash sales. Big thanks to This Is Small Business for sponsoring this show. This Is Small Business is an original podcast from Amazon all about how to start and grow your small business. Listen now on your favorite podcast app. Okay, Nicole, I was blessed to be exposed to your work few years ago. And you have been someone that has been on my radar, someone that I've been excited to have a conversation with. So welcome to the Gold Digger podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And the feeling is mutual. I've been following you for forever and listening to your podcast. so So I could not be more excited for this combo. Oh my gosh. Okay. So there's so many pieces of your story that I want to dive into. You were in PR, you grinded in a full-time job while you were starting your side hustles. You transitioned from blogger to personality to fundraising for this amazing company. Your story has so many different chapters in it. And so can you share a little bit first about where we find you today? What are you doing today? And then we'll kind of go back a little ways because we can't start this conversation without starting with where you began. Yeah, absolutely. So I am the founder and CEO of a company called Claire. We're a modern paint brand that just simply makes the process of buying paint for your home really easy, really inspiring, curated colors, none of the hassle of kind of shopping with traditional paint brands. And we're five years into our journey. So it's been quite a ride. That's incredible. So walk me through a little bit about your past. I loved hearing your story and I would love for our listeners to hear a little bit about kind of your journey because I feel like you have done so many different things. You've lived a million lifetimes in your young years. So where did you begin and where did it kind of unfold for you? Oh my gosh. So I started my career in PR working for Victoria's Secret, which is a crazy job to have out of college. I was doing the fashion shows, all the TV specials. It was nuts. Then I was always passionate about design though. So I was basically hawking bras and panties for a living, but all I thought about was interior design and home. And, you know, I loved Martha Stewart. Like the greatest day of my life is when Martha Stewart came to our fashion show and I got to take her on a tour of the backstage. (laughs) You know, I didn't care about like whatever musical artist was performing. I was like, I got to meet Martha Stewart. It was amazing. (laughs) So that was kind of the, you know, what I was inspired by. And I felt very odd compared to my peers because everyone was so into fashion and beauty. And I was like, I'm going to be the next Martha Stewart. So while in that day job, I started side hustling in 2008. So it was the great recession or the last great recession. We're kind of in a weird space now, but it was like pretty bad in 2008, 2009, the literal banking system collapsed. It was a lot of fear and anxiety. People were losing their jobs. It was crazy. So I knew that I wasn't going to quit my day job, but I started a side hustle design business. I also started my decorating blog at the same time and loved it. I had immediately felt like I found my calling. I knew that was the path that I wanted to pursue. And the only roadblock, there were really two roadblocks. One was, wasn't a great time in the economy to be trying to start a business, but also I wasn't confident enough. I felt like I had a lot more to learn 
before I could confidently go out on my own and feel like I would be successful. I'm I tend to be a planner. I'm not kind of like a fly by the seat of your pants. I'll figure it out later type of person. <laughs> so I wanted to feel ready and have kind of like a, a plan of what I would do for a second, third. So fast forward 2013, I pivoted to focusing on building my design firm and myself as a personality full time. I felt that the TV stuff and the media stuff was a little bit of a harder nut to crack. So I focused on that first. I booked a role on a DIY decorating show on the Oprah Winfrey Network. So I did that where I was one of three designers on the show, but we each hosted our own episodes. Yes. And made over the homes of deserving families. I did the morning show circuit, you know, giving everyday viewers decor tips and started working with private clients in and around New York City. And in the background, I just kept thinking about, you know, this idea that I really wanted to build a brand and circling back to Martha Stewart. I was always inspired by how she built her brand. She took her love and passion for food and lifestyle and home and turned it into literally every product category you can think of from like office supplies at Staples to pet accessories at like Petco to like home stuff at Macy's and beyond. And like, I really felt like there wasn't anyone young doing that. There wasn't anyone young and exciting and inspiring, really building a brand in home in this, in the same kind of way that she did. I think Nate Burkus is definitely the closest example, but Mm. there's still a little bit of a generational gap in terms of, you know, even where Martha is and where he is. And then I think we're kind of you know, folks that, you know, might follow me are. And so I thought that I could be that. I could be that voice of authority on home for people who are younger and passionate about their homes and wanted to mix high and low and all that kind of stuff. And after about five years of grinding at doing my design business, being a personality, kind of sort of dipping a toe at being an influencer, I was like, I want to build a brand. What is it? What is that thing? The first wave of direct consumer brands like Warby Parker and Casper were really inspiring to me. And this idea that I could build a brand from the ground up and have a lot of upside, you know, ideally build a brand that could someday become a billion dollar brand and be able to walk away with this massive legacy. So I decided to go big or go home and instead of starting a smaller business or a lifestyle business, I was like, I'm going to go after a venture scale business. And paint felt like the right category. I love color. I felt... I could add a lot of value to to building a better brand. And at the time, everybody thought I was nuts for saying that I'm going to start a paint brand. My own mom was like, a paint company? That doesn't make sense. How are you going to make paint? You know, but like, yeah, literally I did it. Here we are. (laughs) So that's kind of the, the story in a nutshell. It's so, I mean, there's so many things inside of that, Nicole. And I just love that you saw a different path because I think that a lot of people focus so much on building the personal brand and the personal business. And I feel like to have that foresight of like, I want to build something that isn't around me that could someday maybe be purchased or acquired or go public. Mm -hmm. That's a whole different vision. Like, how was that even on your radar? Because I feel like for a lot of women, that isn't something that we see enough or hear about enough to even consider it, especially in those early days. Yeah, well, so I'm a nerd. I have always followed technology and startups. So like in the world of Silicon Valley, which is this sort of mythical place out there in the universe, but really it's it's a real ecosystem of startups and venture capitalists and all of that. There were early 
founders who built companies that were really groundbreaking and they made a lot of money in those ventures. I think the, the most widely known examples are think of like Mark Zuckerberg starting Facebook in his dorm room and the multi-billion dollar behemoth that Meta is today, right? So just this idea that anyone young could build something that's really pioneering. I looked at the you know, the kid who started Napster, who was also one of the early investors in Facebook, he was, we're practically the same age. And I felt like before Napster, MP3s didn't exist. People didn't listen to music digitally. We had Walkmans and Discmans and put CDs and contraptions to listen to music. Girl, I still have a cassette player in my car. So you're speaking to me. I get it. I get it. But yeah. So I was like, this kid who's my age just changed the way we consume music today. Yeah. That to me was like incredible. And so I kept, I always started following these sort of innovation stories, even in industries and in, in where I wasn't personally passionate about, but their stories inspired me. Another app that now maybe isn't as widely exciting anymore, but like when Evernote came out, it was like a groundbreaking note-taking app and they were like acquiring millions of users so fast and that company valuation was so crazy. And, you know, so I kind of followed their journey and a lot of other startups and I was like, I, I want to do that. And I remember... In 2010, I was still working at Victoria's Secret and I still have this in an Evernote. That's why I was able to go back and look at it. And I was like, okay, one day I'm going to build a company like this. Let me start taking notes on who all of the VCs are. One of the venture funds on that list was First Round Capital and they were the biggest investors in our seed round. Wow. You know, many years later. So it was nuts, but it was so full circle. Crazy. So walk me through... Claire and how you got to where you are. So you had to raise money. What was that process like? And when was that kind of hitting? Well, first I want to talk about the sacrifice that I made to even be able to raise money. I had a successful design firm. I was doing media and I was actually making a decent amount of money. I was, I was making more as a, whatever you want to call it, multi-hyphenate personality than I was in my day job at Victoria's Secret. And I decided to stop all of that for a short period of time to explore this idea of building a paint company. So initially I said, I'm going to take a quarter off. I'm not going to take on any new business or do anything other than this. And that meant no income for a quarter. But after about a month, I was all in. So I made a commitment to not make any money for that whole entire year. I did a couple little small things, but I basically had no income in 2017. And spending the time, because the amount of time it actually required to be able to build the foundation of this business enough to be able to raise capital, it took every ounce of my time and energy that year. Wow. So that whole year of 2017, I learned how venture capital even works. Yeah. And just started working on it. It is. I mean, it was a total mystery to me. I don't come from a, like a, you know, a, a family or kind of socioeconomic background where like, I know venture capitalists in my real life. Right. Like I, I don't even know how it worked. I didn't even know how it worked. Right. So, you know, I just spent the whole year both learning the paint business, but also learning the VC game and who the venture capitalists are. How do you go about raising money? How do you sell your idea? How do you build enough of a proof of concept or, or create enough conviction for somebody to drop millions of dollars on an idea? Like, That took a lot of time and energy. People are like, oh, overnight, you just raised 2 million bucks, but it actually took nine months, almost a whole entire calendar year to close the whole round. But I didn't start even fundraising until nine months after making the decision to commit. All I can think about as a mom is that's the length of a pregnancy. So your baby was born (laughs) and all of a sudden now you can present it to these investors. 
You know, what's so interesting to me, and I heard this in another interview you did, is that you were kind of looking at all of the design space, right? And everything was so archaic. Like we just went through the process of building a home and there are certain aspects of home design that just have never been updated. Mm -hmm. And so when it came to paint, what was the process? Like, how did you determine like paint is the thing you love color? Great. But like, that is a still very archaic old school system. And so how did you figure out that like there could be a different way for doing that? Because I think that what's so interesting about entrepreneurship is a lot of times we see this problem, but we're not quick to qualify ourselves as the solution. And you did that when it came to paint. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was kind of audacious because I'm, I don't, uh, looking back on it, I'm like, who did I think I was to be able to actually do this? You know? And I think you, you have to have that blind faith and optimism as a founder. Otherwise you'll never do it because there's going to be a million people and a million reasons why it won't work, but you've got to have conviction. But I think what it was is I thought about everything. I thought about so many different categories and my first step was always doing a little bit of diligence on the market. What are the brands in this space? Where are they sold? How much are they you know, what is the size of like, you know, how much paint is sold in the US? What's the what's the market opportunity in terms of like billions of dollars, right? Right. And so when I started studying the paint industry, and I also studied a lot of the startups too that like were were seemingly successful at their start. So like the Warby Parkers and Caspers and just kind of how they tackled their industry. So I kind of just took a lot of that thinking and I applied it to how I diligenced the paint market. And so the first thing was like, how big is the market opportunity? Okay. It's $155 billion global industry in the U S it's like, you know, a lot, I think at the time and it's grown, the market's grown, but you know, (laughs) you know, at least, at least 50, 60 billion here in the U S. And so I'm like, even if we took a sliver of that, we could have a a massive business. So that's kind of where I started. And then it's like, okay, who are the brands? And then when I looked at it, it was like, okay, Sherwin Williams. Okay. They're a 150 year old company, like literally started in the 1800s. Benjamin Moore. Okay. Yep. Another hundred plus year old company. I realized these companies were all a hundred plus years old, started in the 1800s, no innovation, very old school. You talked about the process of, of designing your new home. The home improvement industry in general is so behind the times. So to anyone out there who wants to try to think of a big business idea, figure out something else in home improvement to solve because it's all archaic. Yeah. And I think when I realized that the brands who are in the space are so out of touch and maybe beholden to one way of doing things that it would be very difficult for them to step outside that box and innovate. I felt that I could build something that could be a value to one of those companies someday. And that's how I thought about it. Do you like fast paced and packed with value stories of successful entrepreneurs from failures to aha moments to what's working for them today? If so, you will love Entrepreneurs on Fire hosted by my friend, John Lee Dumas. Entrepreneurs on Fire stokes inspiration and shares strategies to fire up your entrepreneurial journey and create the life you've always dreamed of. Their recent episodes about starting an RV rental business, the future of real estate, and how to cultivate a mindset of resilience have all got my wheels turning on how to generate more revenue and fulfillment. Listen to Entrepreneurs on Fire wherever you get your podcasts. One of the toughest parts about starting and growing your own business is figuring out how much you should charge. Like, what is your product actually worth and what do you need to charge in order to make a profit? There's a recent episode of this great podcast called This Is Small Business that talks all about this. You'll learn how to figure out what customers are willing to pay and when you should start thinking about raising your prices. It's called How to Find Your Ideal Price Point and you can go listen to it right now. 
This is Small Business Answers so many of these kinds of questions, questions that all entrepreneurs have. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business, looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you are ready to grow. This show covers it all, like how to find your ideal customer, how to know when you're ready to launch your product, how to hire your first employee, why you should protect your intellectual property, and tons more. Learn more about how to start and grow your small business. Check out This Is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon on your favorite podcast app. I love that you looked at it and you didn't say, well, this is just the way it is. But you're like, there's a different way it could be, which I think is so powerful. Yeah. And I really thought about the outcome. It's like, okay, because I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I didn't build a business to, to run it forever. I built a business to hopefully sell it and create a legacy and have it hopefully live forever. And so I thought a lot about like, who would be the type of company that would buy a company like this? And when I realized there probably was a market for it, for, for the company to buy the company someday. I'm like, you know, billion dollar companies with billions of dollars of cash, you know, sitting in their balance sheet, like sell this company someday. <laughs> you know? I love that. One thing I'm curious about, because I have watched people in that startup world and we reference Silicon Valley and that world is that there is one really prevalent theme for people working in that world. And that theme is burnout, right? It is mm-hmm. a common challenge for all entrepreneurs. Pretty much anyone listening to this that has tried to start something has likely experienced some semblance of burnout, whether in their business or their life. Can you tell me about what that's been like? Because what you're sharing and the success you've had and the ability to raise funds and the ability to persevere and really pave an entirely new path in an industry that has been around for over a hundred years like this probably didn't come without a sliver of burnout on the side. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? (laughs) Yeah. And I have experience running a different type of business too. And I thought I was busy then. And I thought I was kind of, I look back and I'm like, that was the most luxurious life I yeah I could ever right? want. That's probably how I and- feel with having kids now. <laughs> like, what did I do with all my time? What did I do? But I get it. Aww. I had so much more freedom and flexibility. And I think the difference was I wasn't accountable to anyone else but myself. And what people don't yeah. realize, because you're right, you see people on Instagram, this girl boss raised jillions of dollars. What you don't realize is all the strings that come attached with that. Yeah. So what people don't know is when you raise capital, venture funds are set up with the structure that they're expecting a certain return at a certain time horizon. And in order to continue raising capital, you have to hit a milestone within a really finite amount of time. And usually it's about two years. So you have, if you want to continue raising venture to get to the size where you believe you can sell your company someday, you have to bust your ass to hit every single milestone or else you won't be able to raise any more capital and your company's at risk. There's been you know, tons of businesses that have had to shut down completely and cease to exist because they weren't able to execute. They couldn't operate you know, or whatever the reasons are and they can't keep raising money. So you're operating at this ridiculous pace to try to hit a milestone so that you can raise more money. And sometimes I think that cycle isn't good for a lot of businesses, yeah. but the pace that that requires absolutely leads to burnout. You are just going, going, going. And sometimes like you hear about startups like Warby Parker, where they grow so fast and they hire a hundred people in their first six months or whatever. And oh, great, good for them. That was not our reality. We were four people for three years, the whole company. Wow. You know, we used consultants and agencies and freelancers, but like... Yeah. We were a tiny team and a tiny operation trying to do this big, audacious, you know, thing and and pioneering this whole new business. And 
when you're trying to do that much with such a small team, that means I'm not eating, I'm not sleeping, I'm not, you know, like there is no balance, you know? So I look at burnout, particularly when you commit to doing a company like this, it's part of the process and part of the journey. It isn't healthy, but as long as that burnout doesn't last forever, And again, this might not be the healthiest attitude, but my attitude has been you find ways to cope and you ride it out. Like That's why they call it a roller coaster. There's highs, there's lows. Usually the burnout happens during the lows. When the the highs are high, everything's awesome. And when things get really hard and there's a million fires to put out and challenges to solve, that's the kind of stuff that that leads to burnout more than anything. And you just have to know that like any other thing in the world, it's cyclical. It's not going to last forever. You know, whether it's grief, the stock market, like, you know, whatever. All in cycles. (laughs) It's all a cycle, you know. And so that's how I've approached it. And I have to prioritize all the time. It's kind of like the the one thing that I've held on to. I think it was Randy Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg's sister, who was like, if you're kind of trying to build a business, there's like five things that you can prioritize. It's like work, family, sleep, fitness and friends. But you can never have all of them. You usually can only prioritize three, like just in terms of the hours of the day. So I had to choose to let things go, which means fitness sort of kind of got deprioritized on my list. Not great, but here we are. (laughs) So I, you know, to a degree, sacrificed a little bit of health and fitness, not healthy, but you make choices. What I did prioritize over that, though, is sleep. That was more important to me than going to the gym every day. (laughs) And, you know, obviously work was a top priority. And then a lot of friendships kind of suffered. I'm in a process now, five years into my journey of trying to just get back in touch and resync with people. But yeah, I think it's just having to be okay with not being able to prioritize everything and do everything perfectly, but giving your all to the things that really are going to add the most value to your life in that moment. And for me, when I started this company, it was getting enough sleep. You know, it was getting this company going. And, you know, I think to a degree, I really prioritized family. I was still, I moved during the pandemic, but I was still in New York City. I had nieces and nephews nearby and, you know, spending time with them was really important to me. And so that's what I chose to prioritize. It's such a good point because I, I kind of hate the notion of balance. I just, it doesn't Mm -hmm. exist. And I always, whenever people would bring up that word balance, it just never sat right with me because I'm like, I can't even think of a time in my life where I was like, everything is in balance. (laughs) Like it just doesn't happen. And it's so interesting because I studied the origin of the word and it was like, balance is like meant to be a moment, not maintained is how I interpreted it. And I think what's so interesting is like, we don't really ask men in business, like, how's your balance? Like we don't, Mm -hmm. you know, how are you prioritizing each aspect of what you are expected to do societally? What does it look like for you today? Because one thing that I love that you said, Nicole, is that like everything is cyclical. So as you're sitting down today doing this interview, what part of the cycle are you on as an entrepreneur? And what does that look and feel like? Oh, I am in a grind right now. <laughs> I am juggling so many things that all feel like, you know, not life or death. It's a terrible yeah, analogy, but like kind thing. of like life or death importance yeah. in, in the grand scheme of this company. And everyone needs so much time and attention. And, and I know that there's just not enough time and attention to give to all of these things. And so just trying to figure out how to get it all done. So I am in a, a scrambled, not as clear headed space right now because I just have too much on my plate. But the things that have helped me is like, cause you're right. I think the concept of balance is BS, but if I can have little mini escapes to reset, 
Yep. Sometimes that's all I need. So taking three days off to tell my team, do not talk to me. I'm going to be over here. I I might just be at home sitting on my couch, but don't bother me. Don't slack me. I need a minute or, you know, whatever it is. The other thing that has really done worlds for my mental health, again, it feels so nerdy, but I started, well, I played golf in high school. Okay. But I started back playing golf during the pandemic. And then during the pandemic, I moved to Connecticut. So I'm in the suburbs where it's 10x easier to play golf than in Manhattan. And I have tried my best when when it's not the dead of winter to play golf once every single weekend. And those three or four hours, I'm not thinking about work. I'm not thinking about problems. I'm not thinking about, you know, the stress. I am in a beautiful park setting because golf courses are secret, but like some of the most beautiful places to go to just like walk around. They're gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And all I'm focused on is getting that stupid little ball in the stupid (laughs) little hole. (laughs) And it's fun. Yes. And it takes me away from all the problems for a little blip in time. And it helps me refocus, recharge. Also, being in Connecticut, I live near the beach. So something as simple as going to the beach for 30 minutes with my clothes on, sitting in a chair, looking at the water really helps work wonders. So it's just little things like that. Just kind of taking a moment to turn my brain off once a week. Sometimes is all I need. It's, you know, I, I, hopefully this, um, this cycle is going to end soon, (laughs) but that's where I am now. I just need a little bit of an escape to turn it off. One, I appreciate your honesty because I feel like it's so easy to be like, everything's great. Everything's fine. And And the world that you find yourself in and the ambitious goals that you hold for yourself require a different level of attention. And I I think something is so beautiful. When I heard your interview years ago, I was like, this girl's a hustler because you were talking about how you worked your day job to earn and save up almost two years of saving as you went into your entrepreneurial life. And I was like, okay, she she knows what she wants and she'll go after it. And I think it's really interesting to consider, you know, I don't think women talk about this enough, especially in the entrepreneurial space, but I think there are two types of women in the sense of like these achievement-based entrepreneurs who are like more, more, more harder. I can do this. Like I'm going for it. I've got that. And then there are also like lifestyle-based entrepreneurs who are like, I just want to like do enough to have this sort of life that I want to live. And I love having conversations because I am more on the lifestyle side. So I'm like, Oh my gosh, Nicole, I need you to like go bubble wrap yourself to the couch for like three <laughs> weeks straight. And and I'm like, you're wired in a different way. And I, I love having conversations because honestly, most of my friends are built just like you. Like they are workhorses. They are audacious. They go after things. They are so ambitious. Do you see yourself shifting out of that? Because with this dream of an exit, like, I feel like you will forever have something going on. What do you think about that? Like, (laughs) I don't know. This pace isn't sustainable. It really isn't. And I almost feel guilty for being so transparent because I don't know if the way that I operate is always the healthiest for the average person, but I know that it isn't forever. And my goal in working this hard short term is to set myself up to to live a long leisurely life for hopefully more than the second half of my life, right? Like I would love to have a much earlier exit from the working world (laughs) and do the things that just feel good to me and not have to worry as much about 
money and, you know, just all that kind of stuff. And so my hope is that this hard work and effort pays off and that it's short term and temporary and that, you know, hopefully in a few years time, I'll have set myself up really well to be able to live the kind of lifestyle that I dream of <laughs> in the in the near future. So. Oh, I love that. Hey, gold diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top notch. Article's online only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and I was there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash golddigger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash golddigger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. Gold diggers, we all know the B2B landscape can be a bit complex. From lengthy buying cycles to complicated decision-making processes, reaching your target audience can be tough. But I found a solution tailored just for you. LinkedIn ads. A whopping 79% of B2B content marketers say LinkedIn produces the best results for paid media. That's because with LinkedIn ads, you're not just casting a wide net and hoping for the best. You're strategically building relationships and driving real results. We're talking about a platform with over a billion members, including 180 million senior level executives and 10 million C-level executives. You are networking with the actual decision makers. And LinkedIn's targeting and measurement tools are specifically designed for B2B marketers, meaning you're not wasting time or money on irrelevant leads. In fact, in the tech industry, LinkedIn ads have been shown to generate two to five times higher return on ad spend compared to other social media platforms. Using LinkedIn ads allows you to stay ahead of the curve when it comes to industry trends and developments, whether it's finding the perfect partner for a collaboration or uncovering new opportunities for growth, LinkedIn can be your secret weapon. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash goal to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goal. Terms and conditions apply. I appreciate your level of honesty because I think that the startup world is often glamorized, but you don't actually see what's happening behind the scenes and, and those milestones and those goals and, you know, the investor calls and all of those things. Like there are so many layers to that. And I just love that you are not only audacious enough to go after it, but you have that vision. Have you always been a visionary? Because I feel like even when I heard you before, you were like, I knew that I wanted to build a business that was bigger than I was like you. Have you always been someone that's just had these really big visions for yourself? 
I think so. I don't know where it comes from, but I've always had this belief that I could do anything. I've always been a dreamer. I've always been an ideas person. And, you know, I've never felt limited. And again, like, I don't, I don't know how or why, but I genuinely believe I can do anything. And I think that is what has enabled me to get to where I am. And I think if you ask anyone who's done something crazy, you know, they probably feel the same because like I said, there's going to be a million reasons why you shouldn't do it. But if you believe you can, then you'll do it. And if you, but if you say, oh, but this is a reason and that, and maybe I shouldn't because of the, you know, so yeah, I think it's just always something innate in myself and don't know where it comes from, but here we are. I feel the same way. And I'm like, how do we bottle this up and give it to more women? Cause I, my mom the other day was like, what's next? And I was like, I don't know. It could be anything. Like it, it really could be anything. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, where does this, we need to have a discussion offline and figure out where this comes from and how we can give it to more women. Cause I don't think a lot of women feel that way or look at life that way. And it totally changes the lens that you approach everything through. So one thing I'm curious about, Nicole, is that you are this visionary. You had this idea for Claire. What does your day-to-day look like as a founder? Because I can imagine at the beginning, it was more the creative side, but today it might look a little bit different. Honestly, it's so unglamorous. I was talking to somebody (laughs) yesterday and I was telling them that basically my job is sitting in Zoom calls all day. (laughs) Truly, I'm surprised. Very unglamorous. Yes. That's it. I mean, not really. Obviously, I'm doing lots of other stuff like like this podcast and stuff that's more fun. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm trying to organize my team, put big initiatives in motion. And frankly, because my team is still so small, I'm very in the weeds of the business. I had this idea that I would be like a face of the brand and I'd like blow my socials out of the water and, you know, all of this stuff. But what you realize is like the business needs so much. Yeah. And it's I'm the only one who cares enough. So I've got to give every ounce that I can to make sure that this business is successful, even if that means at the expense of other things. So yeah, I don't really know, but it's <laughs> you're, you're the Zoom queen. <laughs> it's nonstop. But yeah, it's every day for the most part, especially since the pandemic. I mean, you know, I used to do a lot more social activities and stuff like that, but it's just, yeah, I mean, I'm working on spreadsheets, I'm organizing projects, I'm talking to investors and, you know, working on new business initiatives with new vendors. It's just a lot of organizing things. It sounds so unsexy, but that's kind of what I'm doing all day. Organizing, project managing, leading, you know, trying to get everyone aligned around the goals and make sure everybody can kind of march toward the, the, the results that we're trying to achieve and stuff like that. So it's, it's, yeah, I wish I could say like, oh, you know, those like day in the life where it's like at 6 a.m. I wake up, I meditate, I have my like latte and my avocado toast. Like that's not my life. Like no. most days I'm like lucky if I could freaking make a cup of coffee. I will be eating lunch at like three o'clock you know, at five minutes in between Zoom calls. It's just and I think remote working since, you know, since the pandemic and stuff has really made work culture like less enjoyable, I think. Because just the Zoom thing all day long gets tiring and it's easy to get burned out from. So yeah, my days, in terms of what they look like, my day in the life would be real boring. It'd be like 9 a.m., Zoom. Turn on Zoom number 10 a.m., one. Zoom. <laughs> 10, 15, bathroom break. Uh, 11, Zoom. <laughs> I know. I know. I feel like you actually have to put bathroom breaks into your calendar. Do you do that? Because I know I do like back-to-back interviews and I'm like changing shirts and like quick, like running to the bathroom. I'm like, okay, I got two minutes before the next one starts. I mean, 
It's amazing. If you could see this life today that you have built super intentionally, it might look a little different than you had imagined. Would you do it all over again? I would. I would. You know, there's so many things that I don't feel like I have in life. It's funny because people look at me and they're like, oh, you've done all these amazing things. You're so successful. It's like, I don't have a family. There's a lot of things I still want to achieve. But at the end of the day, I think I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I think every step in my life led me to this point. And I feel like I'm working towards something that's really meaningful. And that's important to me, just as important as all the other things that I believe I will achieve in life, maybe just a little later than I'd anticipated. But yeah, I think I'm right where I'm intended to be. Mm, I love that. What inspires you? Like, where do you get your inspiration? So we know the golf course is one place, which by the way, (laughs) I, I love that tip. I feel like if anyone is listening to either like invite your inner child back into your life, whether it's through like a past hobby that you used to love or like something that you've wanted to explore. We, during the pandemic, we started biking again. And as you were talking, I was like, I'm going to try to go on a bike ride today. Like just these little things that like kind of bring you back home to yourself in a way and also ground you in a different way. And so I love that. Yeah. Where else do you find your inspiration? Do you read? I know you love magazines. Like talk to me about that. Yeah, I think like I love design. I'm still a design nerd and I I call it decor porn, but I love looking at interior portfolios and interior stuff on Instagram and, you know, all that. So that stuff really inspires me. I think I watch a lot of YouTube and I love like I love listening to podcasts and hearing other people's journeys. So that really inspires me a lot. And then I think one more thing that really brings me balance are children. I have, I lost count at this point, 10 or 11 nieces and nephews. Yes. And similar to being on the golf course, when I'm with these kids, they don't care if I'm a CEO. They don't care if I had a bad day. Literally yesterday, I had the worst day in the world. And my little niece FaceTimed me to tell me about her first day of middle school. She was so excited. She was like telling about the new friends she met and all these things. And it just took me away from all the problems for a minute. And I'm like this beautiful girl. She's just so happy to tell me about her first day in middle school. There's so much more to life, you know, and she kind of pulled me out of it. So I think like anytime I can spend time with my nieces and nephews and, you know, just kind of makes me forget about all this stuff, you know? Yeah. Oh, I love that. I mean, this morning, my daughter, we turned on the fireplace because it is cold. And she like (laughs) set up this whole little picnic for breakfast, which was very inconvenient trying to eat cereal like in front of a fireplace. But she was like, this is the most fantastic idea. This is going to be just fantastic. And you're like, just save the magic. Like, how do you preserve this little like magical spirit? I love that so much. I do feel like children just kind of bring you back to earth of like, find the tiniest little joys. My daughter loves bugs. And so she wanted to bring it into the house today. And it's like, honey, like, She's like, I'm just talking to him. Like, I won't touch him. I'm just talking to him. And so it is, it's such a beautiful reminder too of like that, like joy. And, and, you know, there's uh, an entrepreneurial podcast. You might listen to it by NPR of how I built this. I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Love. And he always asks at the end, how much do you think this was skill and how much do you think it was luck? And I want to ask you that question because you have done so many things, but you have also worked so incredibly hard for them. So what percentage would you say was skill and which percentage was luck? That's hard because my thinking self would say 50-50, but that's not true. So if I had to really lean into a choice, I would probably say that it is more luck than skill because you can be the most talented person and the most skill 
But if you're not in the right place at the right time, with a little bit of luck, it may not happen for you. And Oprah used to say success is when preparation meets opportunity. Yes. You can be prepared, but if the opportunity isn't there, that success may not come. So I do think the luck piece is really big. 60 to 70% of it, probably. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Where can everybody learn more about you, connect with you, shop Claire? Give me all of the places that we can be more in your ecosystem. Okay. You can follow me on Instagram at Nicole Gibbon Style. You can check Claire out at Claire.com for all your home painting needs. You can also follow us at Claire Paint on Instagram, TikTok, and all the other social channels. Hope you check us out. And it's been awesome chatting with you. You too. Okay. You have to be our forecaster since you are in the know. What are the paint colors that we need to have on our radar as we are starting to go into the next year? Tell us. Okay. Shades of green continue to trend upward. We see so much demand for shades of green. So I think green is a great color to bring into your home. It's timeless because it's a color found in nature. So it will never go out of style. You're wearing the most lovely shade of green right now. (laughs) So I vote for green because I think I call it nature's neutral works in Mm -hmm. any space. And then just in general, I love encouraging people to step outside of the, the sort of the beige box and like just experiment with color a little bit, even if it's just in one room or a small bathroom or something like I think color can sometimes really just change your mood, whereas neutrals are beautiful and timeless. But color, just like go for it. Don't be afraid. It's just paint. You can paint it over if you don't love it in, in the end. And the right color can make such a big impact on your home and how you feel when you're in your space. I love it. Nicole, I just want to commend you. You in all of my interviews that I've done, like you are going a different path. And I know it's not an easy path and I know how hard you work. And I just loved, absolutely loved hearing your story today because I know that there is someone out there listening who is ambitious and audacious and confident just like you and who is also going to change the world. So thank you so much for just showing up so authentically and living into your truth because I think it was absolutely incredible to hear. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. You're amazing. And I appreciate you having me on. If you're to ask me what one of my favorite parts about running a podcast is, it's the fact that I get to speak with people like Nicole. I love today's conversation and I feel so inspired and challenged by the way that she shows up and does business. There is this deep appreciation for her ability to work so hard and to have that big vision that for many of us would feel impossible. I also just love her confidence and I want to bottle it up and sprinkle it all over you, our listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Gold Digger Podcast. If you haven't yet, would you please take a second to rate and review the show? I love reading your words and your experiences and the things that you're learning alongside us as entrepreneurs. And I would absolutely love to hear from you. And of course, if you have a second, take a screenshot of where you are tuning in and post and tag me so that I can check out where it is that you listen to this very show. Thank you so much for being a part of this community and and allowing me to have the space where I get to talk to amazing people like Nicole. I hope you have an amazing day. And of course, until next time, gold diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals. 
I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you just finished another episode of the Gold Digger podcast. Did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, head over to golddiggerpodcast.com for show notes and all the discount codes from today's sponsors. And if you're looking for a new crew of movers and shakers like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for gold diggers on Facebook. The link's waiting for you at golddiggerpodcast.com. Hey, Gold Diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer care team is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more.